Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. One more time, I'm John Russin, your host, here with Pastor Frank Friedman, my dear friend. How are you doing today, bud? Doing very well, John. Uh, God continues to prove how good he is in spite of a world that can be not so good sometimes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And uh, as we say often, quoting from Brother Dave Ramsey, we are doing better than we deserve. <laughs> okay, listeners, in this series of episodes, we're doing something a little bit different. If this is the first time you've joined us, we are talking through Pastor Frank's newest book, upcoming book, entitled Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. It'll be out pretty soon, and we want to give our listeners uh, sort of a preview glimpse into its contents. We know that some folks can buy the book. That's great. Please do so. Buy multiple copies. Share with your friends. But there are many who were not able to do that. So we want to cover some of the thoughts in the book in this series of podcast episodes so that all can avail themselves, at least all who speak English. So we're beginning today with picking up our conversation. And Frank, so far, we've talked about a number of rather unpleasant topics. We've talked about our responses to pain, how we handle it, how we don't handle it, how we stick our heads in the sand. Last week, we had an interesting conversation on where is God in our pain and why does he allow it? We talked about Joseph, Isaac's favorite son. We talked about Jeremiah. We talked about Jesus in Gethsemane. And we, we saw an interesting perspective that you gave on, on how God will work through our pain to bring us to the point where he wants us to be, to bring glory and praise to himself and honor to us. And most importantly, to bring us to a point, as he did with Jesus, where we can bear much fruit for the kingdom. Now, you ended, Frank, with a quote from Johnny Erickson Tata. Would you begin today with reiterating that quote? Because I think it's going to launch us on our chat. Yes, Johnny, as you know, was uh, paralyzed as a young girl and has spent the rest of her life in much pain in a wheelchair. And God has just used her greatly through the ministry of Johnny and Friends. And she gave me permission to put this quote that she shares quite often in uh, the new book. She says that God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And it's a, such a powerful statement, John, because it honors his sovereignty, but it also honors his goodness and his love, which we know are all revealed in scripture. The hard part is the allowing, but as we saw last time in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph made this statement to his wicked brothers, you meant it, and the Hebrew there means you made a plan that was evil and executed it, where in the same event, God had a plan and executed his plan for good 
in that same evil circumstance. And John, that's where biblical truth is way beyond my pay grade. I cannot harmonize that. I can't understand it, but I believe it. In the book, I quote our dear friend, Jim Fowler, who's a brilliant theologian. He made this statement to me once. He said, God is the ultimate cause of all things in the universe, yet remains inculpable of any evil whatsoever, because evil is not in harmony with his righteous character. Now, John, when I meditate on that, it gives me a headache. Oh, yes. <laughs> because how can he be the cause of all things and yet not be blamed for any evil? My circuits blow, but I think that statement is in harmony with Scripture. And instead of trying to figure out how these things happened, I think we need to start focusing on the who that we need to get through what has happened. And that's really the focus of this new book, finding God in a way you never knew him. That's right. Focusing on the who is the answer, but it's generally not our first answer. And I've, I'm sitting here thinking about your reference to Joseph and the way he was betrayed by his brothers sold into slavery. Remember as a young believer reading the book, Johnny hearing her story, and just looking at those two, a sister and brother in the faith with us, what must have been going through their mind, the first response after this happened, looking at Joseph, for example, scripture's silent, but I can imagine what's going through his mind about his brothers, about his, his circumstances. God rejects me. God's going to kill me. And so when we're vulnerable like that, the enemy recognizes that one of God's kids has been thrown for a loop. And of course, the enemy is a liar. And more importantly, he is the father of lies. There's every single lie ever told has its root in him. So in our pain, in our loss, in our suffering, we will get bombarded. I think it's absolutely given that the enemy will come after us, came after Job. He's going to come after us. And so in our pain, we are going to be tempted to believe a bunch of lies. And I want to talk about the different types of lies that we're going to face. The first is we're going to be tempted to believe lies about God like mm -hmm. this. Well, God must not love me as much as he loves my neighbor across the street because my wife uh, is sick and dying and his is not. God has abandoned me because I failed in some way. I've got some hidden sin and he's finally got a snoot full of me and he's just washed his hands of me or God's punishing me or, you know, God doesn't care about me. All these things. And there are many more lies. Frank, what do you got to say about the lies about God? The enemy is going to feed us. It's an interesting thing, John. Jesus said the truth will sets you free. But we have to realize there is an, another statement that is directly antithetical to that. If the truth sets us free, then believing a lie will put us in bondage. Mm -hmm. 
And you know, the thing, John, he's been a liar, Jesus said, from the beginning. Well, when I hear those words, I go back to Genesis, because that's the beginning. And how did he snag Adam and Eve? He called God's character in question. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from every tree. And that was a lie. And the doubt was sown. And Eve bought the lie. And she was seduced. And then Adam rebelled against God and chose Eve over God. And it all went downhill from there. But it all began with a slander against the character of God. And so I think what we need to do as believers is realize that is going to be the enemy's first attack. It's always going to be the same. Somehow in what is happening to me, God is not good. God does not love me or God is not in control. And when we believe those lies, we're headed down. So I think we really have to prepare in advance, bury ourselves in scripture, meditate on scripture, on the true character of who God is, so that we'll recognize those lies when they come. That's right. And the wrestle will be there. And listeners, if you have any pain or had any pain or loss or grief or suffering in your life, undoubtedly you have been in the enemy's crosshairs. Perhaps you still are struggling. Right now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that those listeners who are struggling with these lies would see the truth, that they would embrace the truth that God has not abandoned them, that he does love them, that he has a path through this for them. Father, I pray that you would open their eyes and they would choose to cling to you. Brothers and sisters, this is a never-ending battle. Our big brother Jesus faced it, and we are going to face it too. I mean, remember, Frank, during the uh, right after the baptism, Satan pitched three lies to Jesus about the character of, uh, of God. And mm -hmm. uh, Jesus knew the truth and basically said, buzz off, turkey, take a hike. But it's, a, it's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes we, we recoil with the pain and we have to focus and set our minds on the truth, which sounds like a familiar verse, doesn't it? Yeah. And you know, John, it's, it's fascinating because if God is the lifter of my head, if God is the one who says, I will strengthen you with my right hand, and these floodwaters will not overtake you. If God is the one who says, I'm the good shepherd that will lead you through this valley of the shadow of death. If God is the one who says, I'm near to the brokenhearted, and I save those who are crushed in spirit. Throughout the Bible, we're being told that God, is the only one that can really meet us where we are with what we're going through. So if the enemy can get us to doubt that about God, we will never journey through our pain. We will become paralyzed as we look to other than God to provide what no other can provide. And I think one of the most important things that we need to realize is that that is true even for self-inflicted wounds. 
you know, I look at Jacob and he deceived his brother. He ended up alone, a nomad, a wanderer. And guess where God met him? Right where he and, was. Yeah, where he was. And four times says, behold, 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 wake up, Jacob. I'm here and I will be with you until I fulfill my promise to you. I think of the prodigal. That boy made sinful, sinful choices. But as soon as he came to a revelation, I'm in a mess and my father is good. He comes home. Now he's offering to be the servant. He doesn't understand fully who God is, but the father quickly shows him, put the robe on this boy, bring the shoes, kill the fatted calf. And by the way, son, here's the rest of the family fortune. I'm gooder, if you will, than you ever realized. John, if we don't understand that God is our only resource in these deep, deep trauma times of life, we're going to spend the rest of our life paralyzed. I'll never forget this little girl that was in my office, little, I say that because I'm old, probably 19, but she had committed a sin. And then these words came out of her mouth. I knew that God would never love me again, not after what I had done. So I went looking for love anywhere I could find it. And she sunk into greater and greater sin. And I thought to myself, that is so tragic. If only the body of Christ had taught this girl the true character of God, she would have had that one failure. But instead of running away from God at that point, she could have run to him and found him and not had to experience what she experienced because of a faulty understanding of who God wants to be to us. That's tragic. It certainly is. And believing lies about God is only the first pit that the enemy lays in front of us. He tempts us also in the midst of our pain to believe lies about ourselves, that mm. we're, we're wicked. I must me be so insignificant that I'm beyond God's attention, uh, considering all that's happened to me. God's abandoned me. I must deserve this pain. And here's the one I, I struggle with because I've seen it so often in people's lives. This pain will be with me forever. Mm. And boy, what a bunch of lies we can feed ourselves to. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You remember when Jesus in John 9 encountered the child that was born blind and the disciples, this wasn't from the Pharisees. That's what to me is the amazing thing. These are guys who've been hanging out with Jesus. And yet still they ask, which one sinned? Was it the parents or the kid? And Jesus had to set him straight. He said, neither. You know, this is a fallen world, man. This, he says, this has occurred so that the glory of God would be made manifest. That's right in line with that phrase of Johnny. You know, he allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And, but this is the first thought we tend to have when something happens is, I must be really wicked or I must have done something to bring this calamity upon myself. You know, when our little girl was born, John, and we got the news in the seventh month that there was uh, 
some devastation coming our way, the first thing Janet and I did was ask each other, what did we do? And, you know, it's just weird how that first response, even though we've been teaching the true character of God for so long and, and who we are in Christ, and we still had that thought. Oh, yeah. And, you know, quickly we looked at our lives and said, we, we haven't done anything. And, and the Holy Spirit didn't bring us any conviction. And, and so we knew that was a thought that came to our mind from the enemy. And we rejected it. And then we received that circumstance and said, okay, Lord, you're going to have to be God to us. And uh, he has been so faithfully. Amen. 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 Listen to you talk, my friend. And so many believers struggle with this. They think that there's something wrong with them. They think that they've committed this horrible sin. Now they don't know what it is. And so they fail to acknowledge the fact that you know, Jesus' words were plain. My sheep will hear my voice. Mm-hmm. And if the Holy Spirit's role is to say, hey, son, you did this and you really shouldn't have done that. But still, our first tendency is not to trust the fact that if we've sinned, God will bring it to our attention. We tend to think that we miss things, that we're just yeah. so oblivious, that we're just, that there's a a dead part in ourselves to God. And that's not true. We are alive to him. We have the mind of Christ, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. We hear his words. He promises that we will hear his voice. That's right. So, you know, what a great testimony that, yes, you were attacked with the lie about yourself, but you quickly refuted that with the truth. No, my father has not told me that this is my fault. So I choose to trust him. Right. Wow. You know, John, there's another way that we believe lies about ourselves, And that's the 180 degrees, the opposite, where when the pain and the hurt and the loss comes, where we say, I'll deliver myself. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. And you know what I'm saying? Where oh, we'll yeah. play the role of the Messiah and deliver ourselves instead of trusting God to deliver us. And that's another lie that I think sometimes we don't reflect on enough, but it is out there. Oh, yeah. One of the lies, the types of lies I think the enemy throws at us is that he lies to us about the nature of our pain. Like you said, some of us say, well, this is not so bad. I can manage this. Or, wow, compared to Susie across the street, this is no big deal. So I shouldn't be whining at all. Or here's the one that you see commonly. You want to talk to God about your pain or talk to someone, but you're told a lie that it will hurt too much. Mm. Don't bother. Let it scab over. You know, that's the best way. Let it make an ugly scar on your life. Don't pursue healing. And so the enemy can lie to us about the nature of our wound as well, can't he? Boy, John, that is probably one of the biggest lies, I think, that keeps people locked in their pain when they say we're sitting down in it, receiving it instead of denying it or anesthetizing it, receiving it will hurt too much. We need to take a second and pause and reflect on what those words are communicating. We are actually saying 
that the experience of pain is bigger than God. And when we do that, we're going to have omnipotent pain with a very impotent God, and we'll never be delivered. We'll go through the rest of our lives wallowing in misery. Worshiping our pain. That's the very thought that, well, co- that's the thought that comes possible. to mind. Yes. Yeah, formulating the identity of a victim. And the thing about being a victim, John, is it's a great tool to manipulate and control other people, to try to make them feel sorry for you so that they won't put too much demand upon you, not require much out of you. And when we function as victims, one of the things that people fail to realize is they're also going to function as victimizers. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, they're not going to be loving others the way they need to love, and they're not going to let others love them because they build these walls around them. They put a a rock around their heart, and they make these decisions, I'll never love again, I'll never trust again. And so in a very real way, yes, victims become victimizers, and then we have this cycle of victimization. And somewhere we have to muster up the will, and it is the will, to trust what God says about himself in his word, to trust what he says about us in his word, and to trust what he says that, you know, this pain does not define us. It's not who we are. And with our hand in his, it's not going to be the end of the story. Uh, He's going to rewrite the ending. And it's one that ends in triumph. I think of those words in Thessalonians, we grieve. I love that. We grieve. He's given us the permission to have sorrow. But what does he say? But not as those who have no hope. Amen. That Jesus is our hope. He's our confidence that whatever's happened, no matter how bad, how often, not even who did it, it doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it falls into impotence when compared to him who says, I'm going to walk with you through this. And it's going to be a different ending. Yes. There's one more batch of lies I want to talk about, my friend, today. And this is the one that really chafes me. Uh, it's It's the lies that the modern church tends to tell to people who are in pain. When you're suffering and you dare to have the courage to reveal how you're suffering, sometimes we get phrases like this. Well, count it all joy, brethren. Or, you know, God never gives you more than you can manage. And so suck it up. Hang in there. You know, you'll get through. And those things are the most abusive things. I'd rather these people be totally ignored than to be abused by insensitive people who are supposed to be presenting the message of life, and they just fall so far short. Mm. Now, you know, John, when I was listening to you, it is true 
that all things are going to work together because of Christ. Uh, it is true that when we encounter trials, we should consider it with all joy because we know God's going to show up in this. Those are true. But I, I was thinking as I listened to you of what Paul also said in Colossians and Ephesians, uh, more correctly. He said, speak the truth in love. And so I think we earn the right to say those words when someone is hurting. And when I say earn the right, I think it means that we, we sit down with them, we hug them, we weep with them, and we wait. And when they are sure of our love, and when the Holy Spirit leads us to, then we can speak those words that all things are going to work together. But we're certainly not to use those words flippantly and never like a hammer to beat the sorrow out of someone with. Uh, that's tragic when people do that. It truly is. And I remember back to a circumstance many, many years ago. Gosh, I must have been a believer a year going to a church. And there was a young child who had permission that Sunday to take his grandmother's Bible uh, to Sunday school. And one of the other kids threw it in the toilet. Mm. Uh, this young child was devastated. And I still remember to this day, in fact, I know the person's name, but I won't mention it, of course. This person said, oh, well, God works everything out for good. And that has sort of sat with me like a rock in my shoe now for over 40 years, that mm. attitude, that insensitivity. And I know why they do it, because no one willingly wants to dive into the pain of someone else. Mm. It, it's really, you know, we had talked about last time that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted, you know, intimately familiar with grief. Mm. You know, he would dive into people's suffering. Without the Holy Spirit in us, we will not have a tendency to do that. Mm. And so it's so hard for us to get up to courage and trust our Father to dive into the deep end of someone's dirty pool and help them figure out which end is up. So we do it as a protection mechanism. I know uh, I've done it. I've seen it. I've had it done to me. I've seen it done many times over the years. But nonetheless, that is not the life that our Savior has, has died to give us. Mm. You know, as listening to you, John, I, I, this is what popped in my mind. I think most people are on an agenda to fix people yes. rather than enter into the world that that person is in. And I think that's really manifest in that phrase that you made several minutes ago when you talked about the lie that God will never give somebody more than they can handle. And so we throw that out and we say, there, fixed. Well, first of all, that doesn't show any compassion at all. But secondly, it's unbiblical. <laughs> right. They are perverting a verse. The verse is from Corinthians, where it says, God will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able but we'll provide the way out. And the way out, of course, is faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ. But it does not say anywhere in the Bible 
that God will not allow us to endure pain greater than we can handle. That is a lie. In fact, when I read the New Testament, the Apostle Paul actually said in 2 Corinthians 1, he was despairing of life. Yes. Now, that's a, I wonder how many modern churches would let that boy testify on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's in line with what he said later in the book. In chapter 12, he said he got a thorn in the flesh and it hurt so bad that he said, take it away, take it away, take it away. And I think that's a Greek idiom. I don't think he said it three times. I think he said over and over and over. In other words, I can't live with this. It, it's too much. And God didn't say, I'll never give you more than you can handle. God in response said, son, this is a tool. It's from my hand. It's going to make you weak. In other words, it is more than you can handle. That's right. But when you're weak, you'll finally trust me instead of yourself. And then you'll really be strong. So it's actually a lie from the enemy that God will never give you more than you can handle. Because the truth from God is he will allow more than you can handle. But only so you can find him. And Amen. in finding him, you find the strength, the peace, the joy, the life to get through, which you can't get over. That's right. God's power is most clearly manifested in weakness, our weakness. You know, it's easy to read that passage in Corinthians and say, oh, well, you know, that's just Paul. Paul needed to be weak for God to manifest himself through him. But uh, the same is true for us. I'll just stick yourself in that passage. You must be weak as well to experience uh, God's power in your life. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to have one more thought, Frank, before we wrap up today. And this is to address our listeners who will have occasion to meet with folks who are struggling, who are suffering, enduring pain, loss, misery. And I want to give them some advice based on what we've talked about. First, realize that you are not going to comfort them. The best you can do is to be a vessel for the comforter, the only comforter, the God of all comfort. And so you need to be in a position, we all need to be in a position where we have enmeshed ourselves so closely with our father so that when a a hurting person comes across our path, we'll know as Job's friends did at first to sit and wait, we'll know when to speak, and we'll know exactly what to say and how to say it. You can't be equipped for this. You can't study. Uh, you can't take courses. You can't hang a diploma on your wall. Isaiah 40 hits it on the head. Those who wait upon or more clearly braid themselves intimately with the Lord shall not renew their strength. Why do they want to renew their own strength? Their strength already ran out once. Mm -hmm. They want to exchange their strength for his. So with that attitude, you might be a little more able to minister life to the next hurting person who walks across your path. Because mm -hmm. realize that unless these hurting people are empty, they can't be filled. 
But the same applies for you too, unless you are emptied of your own pride, ambition, and delusions about what you can do and your own abilities, you too will be unable to minister life. You too, we also must be emptied if we are to be filled with the life of our Father so that it spills over and splashes onto those around us. Mm. You know, John, as I was listening to you, I, I, I just had this thought running through my mind. It was Proverbs. Two verses were popping in my head. The one is Proverbs 18, which says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That is a overwhelming statement that all of us should be meditating on. Every time I open my mouth to speak, I'm either going to be ministering life to someone or I'm going to be ministering death. I can minister death through harshness, criticalness, insensitivity. I can minister death, think about this, with the truth of God's word, if I minister it flippantly or as a hammer. And the other verse that popped in my head was, the mouth of the righteous ponders how to speak. We think before we speak. Is this the right time? What effect are these words going to have? Holy Spirit, lead me. But the second half of that verse, oh my goodness, the mouth of the wicked just pours forth evil. And, you know, we've got to realize, John, when, a, when we're in the presence of a hurting person, we have to be extra careful that our words don't bring even more pain on the one who's already in pain. Amen. We've really got to guard our words. Well said, my friend, and a great caution for all of us. Well, Frank, it's been another great time today. Thanks for joining us, friends, on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank and I have been talking about his upcoming book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. It'll be out soon. Watch for it. Visit our website too, OurResoluteHope.com. Uh, browse around, check to see the resources we've got available. Send us an email. Let us hear from you. And check out the newest part of our website uh, coming soon, our members portal. Uh, it'll be free. And there you'll find a lots of material that was not available as we go through the vault of Pastor Frank's materials and make them available to a brand new generation. And also follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And once again, as always, we remind you from Hebrews chapter 6 that we, all of us, have this hope. He's a living hope. First Peter calls it a resolute hope. He is an anchor for our soul. So today and always, if you're in pain, struggling with loss, grief, misery, there is an anchor for your soul. Today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.